Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we're lucky to have James Billmeyer. James is the founder and CEO of a company called Turbo Patent in Seattle. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for being with us. So Turbo Patent is an interesting and fun idea. I know a lot of people are very enthusiastic about um, this idea that you're going to be able to... Well, tell us. You tell me. You, you're, the, you're the founder. You're going to tell me better than I can, I can tell you. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, we're, we're involved in the AI, machine learning, uh, that whole space, natural language processing. Uh, I think there's a bit of hype there that, you know, it's going to replace... Uh, all the patent lawyers, and that, that's that's not certainly what we're trying to do. Um, my origin is really, uh, I've been running software organizations and software companies for the last 30 years, I'm afraid to say. Um, and what I have observed is in the software industry, and certainly in the mechanical engineering, architectural, these guys have very powerful sets of tools, CAD tools, or in software, they call them IDEs. You've heard of things like GitHub and those kinds of things. And uh, those kinds of tools don't exist for lawyers in general and patent lawyers uh, specifically. And so we started the company. uh, I'm actually co-founder. My co-founder is a very uh, seasoned, uh, excellent patent attorney. Uh, with the concept that we would provide <clears throat> these powerful tools, CAD-like tools, to patent attorneys. And uh, uh, to be frank, we uh, pounded our heads against the law industry for about three and a half years, and it was very, very difficult to sell to the legal industry. Well, we made some progress, <clears throat> and we continue to offer some of our technology commercially. Um, but what we did was we spun the company and uh, created... Uh, our own uh, ability to create preparation and prosecution of patent documents mm. using our technology, not just the commercial technology, but technology we have internally. Mm. So we um, now are producing largely for small and medium-sized companies. Okay. The big companies, they have so much money. I mean, Microsoft spends like a million dollars a business day on creating patents. Uh, small companies don't have that kind of budget. Um, so with the advantage of our tools, we're able to be far more cost effective and at the same time, increase the quality of the documents themselves. Yeah, that's great. So you're targeting, instead of targeting law firms, you're targeting companies. Corporations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I said, mostly small and medium sized businesses. We've just launched a product called invention hub, uh, which is very different than anything that a law firm has. Um, I call it our Uber app. It's a free application that small and medium-sized companies can use for effectively all of their um, IP issues, all the way from capturing ideas, converting them into and storing them legally and as trade secrets, or progressing them as uh, a potential patent. And it's all done in a file type that once that work is done, they hit a button and... Uh, we can just take that file and it actually makes us more efficient. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Well, so Mike, what Mike's a Mike's a Mike's done some licensing of software. Mike, that's what you do most of the time or half the time when you're like making software. What do you think about this patent field? Yeah, no, I, I think um it's interesting. Like in the in the mobile app space, patents are not like the preferred way to protect your patent your, your uh your technology just because they tend to be expensive and take a long time and the mobile space moved really quickly and, and the, um, the scale just wasn't there. And, um, so, so, so did, haven't done a whole lot of patent work on the apps and, and the types of things that I've done, but I did work on a game at one point and there was some, um, uh, desire on the part of myself and the people that we work on the game to try to, uh, 
to patent sort of the game rules, like the, the basic rules of the game so that we could talk about it more freely with other people. Um, and so I, I actually was looking around at, this was something I, I thought I would file a provisional on my own. You know, I'm not a patent lawyer, but I, you know, I am a lawyer and know the background on it. So, so I thought, you know, this is sort of my own project. Maybe I'll give it a shot and see, um, see, you know, what the process looks like. And so I ended up coming across the, the turbo patent software and was, and used it, uh, to help draft the claims. And I thought it was pretty helpful, um, for somebody who doesn't know, you know, sort of generally what the formatting looks like and how these things look. Um, I found it was pretty useful. I think if I remember it's been, it's been a while since I looked at it, maybe over a year. Um, there was, when you opened up the software, it had, you know, various, various, um, categories, like where you'd, you'd say, okay, well, this is where the specification goes and you'd start writing that. And then there'd be a second part of the app that you'd go to, to deal with like the drawings. And when you were done, it kind of com- compiled it all together into something that looked a little bit like a, you know, so- something that looked really professional when, when it came time to file it. Um, it was, it was, I was pretty impressed with the software overall. So it was good. It was good for a provisional vote. That, that was just the provisional mic. I can't remember if maybe I filed the provisional. It's it's been a long time. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have do you do provisionals in the Turbo Patent application? If you do, it probably was. If you don't, it was probably me trying to move on to the next phase. Well, as you, you're probably aware, you can file a non-provisional as a provisional. So we we do um, use our tools to make provisionals. Provisionals don't require a set of claims, and they don't require drawings. But we think it's much better to include some of those things in even a provisional. So when we create provisionals using our tools, we they look a little bit more like a non-provisional, as, as you were discussing. There. Right, right. And so, and so this is this is this is really super helpful. And are you finding that lawyers are coming along, or are you finding their patent lawyers still? use it because it's really not stylized to them and it's not something that helps them or how do you see that shift well so our tools go you know sort of beginning to end from idea all the way to you know drafting the application to prosecuting the application in the uspto examination process and um, where we're probably most installed in low law firms some very very large law firms is uh, in the um, the prosecution side. We have a product called Smart Shell mm. that you just drop the office action in. Office okay. action being the thing you get back from the USBTO, and uh, you drop it in there, and it does a bunch of analytics on it. So it'll give you some business guidance. Uh, we just had one from a local early stage company here. I probably shouldn't say their name. Uh, where they're in what's called an art unit, an examination unit, where the average grant rate is 9%. And they were wondering, well, should we continue to pursue this? It's like, you got a 9% chance. And actually, they were enough along in the process that was probably less than that. Mm. So um, our typical grant rate is about 90% Mm. uh, for us as a company. The average in the industry is about 50%. And a lot of this is due to the, the tools. We also end up doing uh, almost a full less office action loop as a result of the tools and the analytics that we can uh, we can provide. Yeah, so so that's pretty fascinating. So you get an office action back, you drop it back into a little file folder, and then you guys apply a bunch of natural language processing and machine learning yeah. to it. That'd be really helpful in other contexts. <laughs> We've been told that. I mean, securities documents, yeah. uh, shareholder documents, lots of that kind of thing. I think this kind of technology, we're trying to stay as a small company yeah. focused on a single vertical for now. But I'm I'm not going to be surprised at all when I see this kind of technology being applied to some of these other kinds of uh, legal matters. Yeah. 
It's. I was laughing when you said you bang your head against the wall trying to sell things to law firms because they are. They're not like the most conducive buyers of technology. It's kind of strange. Yeah, well, I, th- I think. Yeah, I, I don't find it. Too. I don't find it being the lawyers or not generally the lawyers. I'm. I'm a big fan of patent attorneys. They're usually really bright you know, domain experts. Um, but I think the firm structure, and I know I'm sitting here in a large firm, is uh, it's just not organized like a corporation where they can make a decision centrally and say, this is what everybody's going to do. Um, we, I, no, uh, no disrespect, but we kind of refer to lawyers in law firms as snowflakes. They're all, they all have a little bit of their own, you know, they're all unique and have their own use ways each, of doing things. Each of us probably think we're a snowflake, right? Each of us is different, unique. It has its own different, unique. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and a lot of times the uniqueness that we find in the patent space is, yeah, I would call it some gratuitous differences in these kinds of things, but it's part of their style and whatnot. So we, right. um, actually the smart shell product largely replaces paralegal functions. So I think it was easier for firms to make a decision to right. automate paralegal functions as opposed to, you know, actually take attorneys out of the loop. Right. Um, but I think this is all coming. I, I think, uh, I'm a big fan, as I said, and I think there's growth opportunity for patent attorneys uh, but I think the form of the kind of work, I think they're going to be more embedded. They're going to have to become more domain experts because, quite frankly, the the legal matters are contained in the AI software. There's this document called the MPEP. It's the Bible of patents. We have all those rules in you know embedded in the AI. So there's really not a reason to have to just be you know be able to pull that from your head. Also, from a domain perspective. We have semantic search that can look at the entire USP. We have the entire USPTO database, all the fire wrapper material. No human being could read and hold all that in their head while they're writing an application. But these machines do, and they will tell you where you're going astray. Sure. So uh, what's the economic model? Do you subscription basis or? So what we do for, um, for selling the software, which is our secondary business to law firms, it's all subscription basis, yeah. uh, either on a per seat or a, you know, per how much activity you have bigger firms, you know, they pay more for an enterprise license. And we have about four different products. Um, the bulk of our business, that's about 20, 25% of our business, okay. 75 to 80% of our business is actually doing these documents for corporations. So in some ways, an alternative a service provider to a law firm. Right. And, um, you know, in that case, it's uh, all fixed fee, completely transparent, right. uh, because we think that's, that's another thing I hear from startups. It's like, Oh, you know, I, I thought they told me it was going to be about this much, but then I got a bill for this and I got a bill for that. And I got a bill for this. And, um, you know, that's, that's problematic for early stage companies. I can say that as a CEO, yeah. you don't want to have surprises because you're running on such a lean right. budget that yeah. a little bit of a surprise can hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, uh, deploying machine learning or natural language processing to helping, helping clients and lawyers talk better to each other about what things cost would be a, <laughs> a nice so, thing to spend money on. Cause I think that's a constant problem. Like, okay, yeah, look, you're asking me about this. That's fine. That's going to cost that. And then, Okay, then you call me the next day with something completely entirely different. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know, whatever. It's hard to know what's going to come up in a relationship where it's a dynamic relationship. And Absolutely. And, and in fact, um, so I've done analysis breakdown of the cost of a patent, and over 15% of the cost of a patent is just communication, trying to schedule meetings. So that's right. why we in, created Invention Hub, because now it's all done. Are you familiar with a product called Slack? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a Slack-like interface 
in that so that all of the communication happens in band, which causes efficiencies. But it's also better from, I'm not a lawyer, but from a legal perspective, because now you can purge that conversation at the end of the, uh, and, there, uh, and at the end of uh, getting a, a patent granted and, you know, that trail of anything that somebody might've said that right. could be disruptive in a litigation is, uh, is purged. Right. Right. So you, what do you see in the, in this, in this channel that you're operating in? Like what, I mean, five or five years now or 10 years now, if you come back on the show, what, how is it, how's the, how's, how's your channel going to have grown or, or mutated or evolved and how, how are things going to look? Well, for one thing, I think the quality of patents will have increased dramatically. Um, you know, we, we look at and do an analysis of already granted patents and I'm not talking about little tiny companies, Google, whatever. And, um, you know, they have their diamonds in there, but the machine will show that probably somewhere between 30 and 50% normally are either invalid or unenforceable. Garbage patents. Garbage patents. patents. For a lot of reasons. And and a lot of it is just, they're just really extremely technically poorly written Mm -hmm. and would, uh, would be very problematic. Uh, And there's, and the other thing that happens is the rules change. Um, you know, Supreme Court makes a decision right. and suddenly things you thought were patents and are no longer patents. Right. And so, you know, the machine has a better way of looking back and assessing um, what you should sort of keep in your portfolio versus not. So I, I think in five to 10 years, um, the uh, I think law firms are probably going to patent law firms are going to be in a little bit different form. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more integration with the corporation uh, so that you know, the patent attorney is working hand in glove with the engineer and the engineering team um, that you see a little bit of this in the larger corporations right now. And I think a lot of the patent right now, we, uh, we, there's not just natural language processing, there's natural language generation. We, our machine generates probably 50% of the language in the patent and about 50% of the drawings in the patent. Um, at this point. Wow, that's great. You know, this reminds me of, and Mike, I feel like I'm hogging the conversation, so please jump in here, but this reminds me a little bit of what some of the Title III equity crowdfunding platforms have done. Their machines will essentially write the, uh, you know, write the offering document for the company, describing, you know, in the format required by the government regulations. It's, you know. I think that's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, patents, what, being a software guy, you know, the old adage, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, I looked at patents and to me, they felt like a lot like a software program themselves. They're highly defined documents. They're very structured, et cetera. So we try to apply of as much of, Hey, when you're writing a patent, you're really engineering a document. And what we're doing is trying to provide tools to allow that to be made, but also when you write software, you do unit tests and you do system level tests. So we, when we return a document, we don't just return the document, we turn the analytics, the tests that say this thing is air free, doesn't have antecedent basis problems. You know, your claims are supported well in your, in your specifications, these kinds of things, which are important. Machines are really good at doing that kind of stuff. It's hard for humans. These documents, 50, sometimes hundred page documents, very complicated all interlinked, um, you know. As a practical matter, um, yeah, the, what I think is somewhat unfair about the patent system is just the, it is hard for, uh, like, your, I think it's hard now for your uh, garage tinkerer, harder now for your somebody working in the garage creating something. And small small businesses, I mean, who's got, I mean, it's easy for big companies to allocate a percentage of their budget and just spend a fortune on patents. But for 
you know, smaller companies, new companies is much, much harder, right? I completely agree. And uh, one of our, our tagline is we're trying to democratize the patent right. system. And one of the ways we're doing that is by using these machines and quite frankly, lower cost labor, not Indian labor, but more domain experts as, as opposed to um, deep patent attorneys. Uh, we're able to offer prices that are about half to a third of what these startup companies would have to pay right. to um, you know, more traditional methods. Right. Yeah. So, hmm, interesting. Yeah. What do you, I mean, there's a couple of issues I'd like to talk to you about. One is I'd like to ask what you thought about the last patent reform act. And then two, I'd like to ask you about the whole practice of law issue and, and how you manage that. But Mike, what, what, uh, what's going through your mind right now? Yeah, I think, um, I am curious to know, I've heard this story over and over again about people making legal software and trying to sell it. I've done it in the past and found it to be challenging. Um, so so I'd, I'd love to explore that some more. Um, I, I think the the idea of, of shifting to more of a service provider um, business model is really interesting too, uh, because it's, it's sort of, um, I found with some products that I brought to the market that Occasionally, you think the customer wants to do this themselves. I want to make it easy for them to do this themselves, especially in the legal space. And then you ultimately find out they really would rather have someone else do it for them. Like, like putting the, like saving money isn't necessarily the goal. Uh, sometimes they, especially with legal services, they want somebody to just do it and tell them that it's done right, um, as opposed to having to bear that responsibility themselves to do the legal work through software. Um, so I, I think that's a good move. Did you find when you made that shift? that uh the sales process got easier or like i mean has it been a good is this a is this a good model for people trying to sell legal related software well, that, um to, to what would be a hard group to sell to um yeah and I, th I see this as a as a movement in general law we have a partnership with a company called atrium um which is a uh a technology software company uh, actually the founder is justin khan i don't know mm. if you remember um Twitch that yeah. was sold for a billion dollars to Amazon. Yeah. So he's he's now started a general legal company uh, using software. We have a partnership, so our systems are used for uh, and services That's, are used. Atrium is pretty new, isn't it? Is it's about yeah, about nine months. Not not. It's out down. They moved it down to the Bay Area. Okay. Um, but they they raised ten million dollars right out of the gate. You know, just based on Justin's name. Do you, uh, what's their first? Do we know what their first like focus area is going to yes, be? Yes, I do. It's on uh, setting up. It's focused on early stage companies mm -hmm. uh, and the the setup of the okay. corporation. So you know, cap tables and you know, governance and right. all those documents that you know better than I do. Right. Um, is that something that you do? Yeah, we do uh, hundreds and hundreds of corporate formations and financings and uh, everything. You can imagine it comes up where well, you know it comes up just as you as you trying to grow a company like all the things that come up we do all those so we're very familiar with all of it they're 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 working less on um like creating brand new software they yeah. and really just looking at there's a lot of project management software communication right. software these kinds of things and just taking sort of off the shelf software and plugging it in and then for the patent stuff they're using you know our services and, and invention hub but um to answer the question directly yeah we found it to be way way easier to sell to corporations you know who have budgets the end user and i, I agree 100 with your comments around um they just want somebody to do it, it, it very few there are those you know, highly technical skilled people who really enjoy writing their own patents and that kind of thing but even those guys, I, I have over a hundred patents that I filed and I've never filed a patent myself 
that wasn't at least finally reviewed and usually heavily edited by a patent attorney. Um, And so I never recommend that anybody do it. It's just, you know, what is it? You have a you're a fool for a lawyer if you're defending yourself, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> one, well, one thing that I'm curious about, and Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Is I, uh, you know, I think one of the critical aspects of counseling someone in the patent space is telling them if, if it's even a, if it's economically even make it makes sense to pursue the patent, because uh, a lot of people think um, think things about patents that aren't exactly true. I mean, you can get a patent, and then you know, I've had people call me and they. They, they went through the process, they spent the money, they took the time, they waited and they got it. And then they're like, well, what do I do now? Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's a little unclear what you do now. Maybe you should speak to what you do now. Once you get the patent issue, what, what would you, how would you answer the question? Well, let's go upstream because you okay. bring up a really good point. And, and um, I, by the way, there's a couple of free books on our website. Okay. One okay. is... Uh, I, I wrote, it's called the, uh, the 30 minute uh, patent MBA. Okay. And so and wow, it's, it's targeted at CEOs yeah. and CTOs of small to medium yeah, sized yeah, companies. Yeah. And then there's another one called Inventioneering. Um, that's a heavier book that can put you to sleep at night if you yeah, want to read okay, that one. Okay. Um, but yeah, so what we start out with, you got to understand what your goals are. And very few people are really trying to build a patent portfolio where they're going to use that to license or you know, offensively, I would say most of them just want to make sure that fast followers don't copy their stuff and uh, just kind of rip them off after they've done all the hard, you know, R and D work. So it's a more defensive use. And so, you know, if you have a crummy patent, I mean, I'm sorry, a crummy product and a good patent that protects a crummy product, it's probably not going to do that much for you. Um, you can, yes, go try to license or sell those patents. We as a company, obviously, we've, uh, we have about 25, uh, you know, either patent applications or granted patents protecting all this software that we've built up over the last five and a half years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not intending to try to sue anybody or whatever, but we think we have some pretty good ideas here. And we think once it starts to catch on that people are going to want to fast follow and, uh, this will be one of our, one of our protections. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what's your theory on patents? Like in your game case, the same, same thing that James is talking about for you. Is that? Kind yeah. Of I mean, it, yeah, it was sort of, um, yeah, the idea was for a mobile game. It had a very simple rule set. It was for, it was a word game. Um, and, uh, and the thought was if that the analysis, cause typically with, I'm going to, take a side uh, deviation here. And typically I don't, I don't love uh, patents for, for mobile apps or for most software. It, it seems like the pendulum is swinging away from protection for that sort of thing. And often the patents can be worked around. Um, but in this case, you know, so I, I, I looked at the analysis of the game and there was a, a very, very small chance that the game would be successful. Um, you know, that's just how games work on mobile apps or on the mobile ecosystem. It's very hit based. So there's a small chance, very, very small chance that whatever you put out will become a huge hit. Um, if it does become a huge hit, people will take it and copy it almost immediately. I mean, just, it's just, it's just how the ecosystem works. And it's kind of unfortunate because you're, you're rolling the dice, you know, you're taking like a one in probably one in 10,000 chance that your app is going to somehow become something that people uh, think is amazing. And, and, you know, it just makes uh, lots of money and becomes a huge success. Um, it's, it's a really small chance. And when, and then if that happens to have other people draft in after you and just, you know, clone your app, um, is kind of hard. And so it seemed like for the 
for the sake of this particular app, the rule set was very specific. Um, it wasn't a game that uh, like a, a game that we had ever seen any, anywhere else. And so I thought, okay, well, if we, if we uh, got a provisional patent on this specific set of rules, that this is how the game is played, um, that the, it was, it was not, it, it was the type of game where if somebody would have to change the rules pretty significantly to get around it. And at that point they would be, it would be a different game. Um, yeah. And so we thought, okay, well, maybe it's worth filing the provisional there just to preserve on the off chance this thing becomes successful, um, you know, for, for the price of the provisional, which is not terribly expensive for a, you know, I highly recommend it. Um, you can file the provisional application. It holds your place in line for about a year, right? You pro- probably yeah, for one year. Uh, know better than I do, but, but uh, so, you know, it kind of gives you a, a, a for, for a pretty low cost and something that you could potentially do yourself, although maybe it isn't recommended. Um, you could do it yourself. You can get that filed. It effectively, my understanding is, gets stuck in a in a file at the patent office, and they just keep it there. They don't review it or, or analyze it. It just sits there to hold your place, um, so that if if things take off with the game that you launched, um, and you find out over the next year that things are massively successful, you can follow it up and then get protection. So that was the, that was our thinking with it. Yeah, we, yeah. I don't know. We've done. We do a lot of mobile uh, patents. Um, they tend to be more sophisticated applications. There's a company down in San Francisco, for instance, that is a ticketing app, mobile ticketing application, and they use a lot of AI to try to arbitrage best ticket prices and all that. So you know, maybe you could argue that's not a. Mo- it's just being represented on a mobile right, phone. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it really depends on your technology. Yeah, interesting. Well, this is great. So how how do you guys market this thing to the to your target, like how do you how do you proceed in that manner? Do you have inbound salespeople, or do you? Yeah, so mostly, so we have this product invention hub that's yep. kind of like our free. We give it away for free, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that becomes our you know established footprint in these companies like the Uber app or you know Lyft app on your phone. Yeah, and then when you need a ride, in our case, when you need a patent. We've provided all this additional value to you, um, and we market that just through you know traditional, uh, you know social media, SEO. Uh, we attend events, we yeah. all that. Um, we do have several of our customers are Fortune 500 style customers, and we just do direct uh, sales for those folks. Gotcha, gotcha. So you've got people in house. We do calling, calling, and making sales. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Fun stuff. Yeah. So our, our audience is primarily, I would say folks that are working on startups or interested in the startup community here. I mean, if somebody is in, in a small company, they're emerging growth and they're thinking about patents, I mean, how can they leverage this? Is this something that they can, should they come to your website, take a look at the, at the patent hub software? And like, what do you recommend for a small company that wants to look at patents and how can they kind of, is your product something or service something that, that's available to smaller companies oh. or is it mostly for the larger? No, no. In fact, uh, the, the bulk of our business is small and medium-sized companies and Invention Hub is really targeted for them and it's free. So yeah, I think that's a good first step. There's a, you know, on our website, turbopatent.com, there's a easy way to sign up for Invention Hub and you'll get a call back from one of the people we call an inventioneer okay. who can help also give you maybe some, you know, business uh, strategy consulting on what is it you're trying to do. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of value to the uh, Invention Hub beyond just, you know, capturing ideas and making patents out of them, as I mentioned, trade secrets and just, you know, um, organizing this stuff for you, creating a workflow, which most of these guys don't have, you know, right. when they're smaller companies. Right. Yeah, it's a nice way to, it's a nice way to ease into a relationship with somebody, build a tool for them to use. It's free. It's yeah. helpful. It helps them organize things. 
Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. a nice method. So how? So how, so you've been. So just give us a quick history again. When did the, you found the company, or how long ago has it? Uh, it's five and a half years, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, 2013. And as I said, we spent the first year really creating and selling, uh, attempting to sell to um, law firms. Yeah. It's only been the last year and a half that we've really pivoted. And yeah. and now we've, we're experiencing, you know, multiple hundred percent growth year over year, you know, 15, 20% month over month kind of growth. Um, we're finding that there's, you know, if you're building a high quality product at a third the price, right. <laughs> somebody might want to buy that. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, congratulations on all the success. And, uh, and Mike, do you have any parting thoughts or? No, no, this has been great. Thanks for taking the time to share it with us. I appreciate you coming yeah, on. Oh, my pleasure. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. It was fun. All right. Well, thank you everyone. And, great. uh, we'll all see you next week. See you next week.